All right, well, welcome to RUF. Uh, did everybody have a good Halloween? Did anybody go trick-or-treating? Okay, Lydia, great job. Um, so if you don't know me, my name is Davis Sweat. Um, I do see a couple new faces. It's great to have all of you here. Um, I'm the RUF campus minister, always down to grab coffee, lunch, get to know you. Uh, I also want to introduce uh, Colin Peters. He's there in the back. So RUF campus, uh, RUF ministries around universities in the Texas area are, are kind of looked at and kind of um, just kind of area coordinator of, of, te- of the Texas region is what, what Colin does. So in other words, Colin is my boss. So uh, you know all those like nice and awesome things that I paid you guys? He's the guy you're supposed to tell that to, all right? So just do that after this. Uh, but Colin, Colin loves RUF. Uh, his kids are in college now, so both as a dad uh, and as a pastor, he loves college students. Um, so I'm really thankful he's here. He comes once a semester to kind of whip me into shape and make sure I'm not preaching heresy to you guys. So, uh, so yeah, thanks for being here, Colin. Um, so every week we say in RUF that you are never so bad that you're beyond the reach of God's grace. And at the same time, you are never so good that you're beyond the need of God's grace. That if there's one takeaway you get from tonight, from being here, uh, it's that we are not Christians because we look good and sound good and know all the right things about God. On the other hand, we aren't actually excluded from being in this room uh, if you don't have your life in order or you don't have the answers, or you're doubting, or you're really struggling, uh, know that this is a place you can be. You're welcome here. Um, That the reason any of us in this room believe and love Jesus isn't because of the things we've done for him, or the choice we've made, or the work we've done. The reason we believe and love Jesus is because of what he's done for us. His loving kindness towards us his mercy towards us, his pursuit of us. That's why any of us are are Christians. Um, So I'm really glad you're here tonight. Uh, One thing we do every semester is a series, and the series this year is titled A Life of Flourishing, Jesus and the Beatitudes. And so we've been discussing the first verses in the most famous sermon uh, and the most studied sermon in the history of the world. And this is the Sermon on the Mount. And what Jesus does in these first verses that we call the Beatitudes is he gives us a picture of what someone who walks in his kingdom looks like. That, that, that's what these blessings are. He's saying that as you walk the life of a Christian in this world and seek to follow him in his kingdom, these things will be true about you. This is what it's going to look like. So for you as a student at Texas Tech, striving to walk in God's kingdom, surrounded by a culture and a people that aren't often walking in God's kingdom, in many ways are seeking their own kingdom and walking in the kingdom of this world, it means you will exhibit these character qualities. This is what it will look like. You'll you'll be poor in spirit, understanding that you need God. You know, a life of mourning, over sin, 
a life of meekness and humility, a life of hungering and thirsting for things to be made right, for God to make all things new. A life of, um, of hungering, uh, both within you and uh, outside of you. A life of knowing you need mercy, so you give mercy to those around you. And so as you reflect on these characteristics, if you're like me, it could cause you to take pause and ask yourself, do I really want to look like this? I mean, really ask yourself that. Because it seems kind of hard. Not to mention it's qualities that aren't really valued <laughs> that much in the world that we live, in the world at Texas Tech. Which is why it's important to remember all the promises that are attached to these blessings. It's as if Jesus is saying, you think life should be this way. You think life should be lived out in a certain way. But I know the true path to flourishing. Trust me. Do you trust him? That's what Jesus is asking in this. Do you believe that he knows the best way? That what he calls you into is not to hinder you, it's actually for your good. So I was listening on the radio the other day um, on ESPN, um, and there's this sports analyst on there uh, named Colin Cowherd. I don't know if y'all have ever heard of him. Uh, and so he was talking about the various QBs in the NFL that are under a lot of pressure right now, in particular Aaron Rodgers and Tom Brady, and, uh, which are two of like the greatest QBs of all time. Uh, but they're going through a lot of stuff in their own personal lives, and it's kind of affecting the way they're playing. And so Colin, uh, he says this. He says, you are who you are under crisis. You are who you are under crisis. And what he means uh, is that when you go through struggles and burdens, often it reveals your character. It reveals how you react. And so in a way, these beatitudes, they show the life of someone walking uh, in a kingdom with Jesus as their king, but having to also walk in the midst of a kingdom where they don't believe Jesus is king. And so when you follow Jesus as the true king of your life, it actually produces a certain character quality in you. You look like these beatitudes. So this brings us to the next beatitude in Matthew 5, 8. It's printed there in your handout. Uh, so let me read it, and then we'll unpack it a little bit more. So this is Matthew 5, verse 8. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. This is God's word. Let's pray. Dear God, we thank you um, for having a time and a space uh, to be able to hear from you, to be able to study your word and to know you um, so that we can be changed by it. Uh, that you shape us for our good. Uh, so be with us tonight. I pray that you would just stir uh, our hearts and that you would change us so that we can love you more. It's in Christ's name. Amen. So one of my favorite movies is Chariots of Fire. Have y'all ever seen that movie? It's a pretty solid movie. It's kind of an old movie. Um, and it's the movie about a, a couple of Olympic sprinters named uh, Harold Abrahams and Eric uh, Liddell. And so it follows both of these guys who are, they're both incredible athletes, 
but are really kind of foils of each other. They go about running for different reasons. So Abraham's, he competes because he wants to win. He wants to be the best. He runs to be the best, uh, to have the glory at the end, to win the medal, to be able to lift up and cheer, and for people to see him and applaud. While Liddell, he competes because he just loves running. That's why he runs. There's a famous line that Liddell says. He says, who he's a Christian, he was a real person, and he says, God made me fast. And when I run, I feel his pleasure. And it makes me think of this beatitude, blessed are the pure in heart. Because being pure in heart, it essentially means that you're motivated by one thing. And that your desire is to follow Jesus. That it, that it shapes and motivates you for everything. That's your one thing. Uh, Soren Kierkegaard, he once said this about purity in heart. It's kind of a famous quote of his. Purity in heart is to will one thing. It's the pursuit of God at all costs because you just desire to know and serve God. It's like running because you love running. Not because it gives you glory uh, or recognition or respect like Abraham's wanted but that your motivation is set on one thing, running, pursuing God, not for all the things he gives you, uh, sort of like a divine genie, but pursuing God because he's God and he's beautiful and you know he's beautiful and he's worth it. He's worth running towards. He's the one thing. He's the one thing you desire. This is, this is pure in heart. Now, here's the thing. I think when we really examine ourselves, examine our hearts, we see that we're actually way more like Abraham's. I mean, I'd love to sit here and tell you that when I wrote this sermon, it was uh, with 100% pure motivation to serve and love Jesus. That it, it wasn't by a desire to try and impress my boss up there. Or, or try to look good for y'all. Or to want my own desire uh, of praise and glory. It's a battle, guys. This quote really resonated with me as I was studying for this. It says this, We human beings are a strange lot. We hear high moral injunctions and glimpse just a little the genuine beauty of perfect holiness. And then prostitute the vision by dreaming about the way others would hold us in high esteem if we were like that. The demand for genuine perfection loses itself in the lesser goal of external piety. The goal of pleasing the Father is traded for its pygmy cousin, the goal of pleasing men. That is spot on. And so if this is often where we find ourselves, and I think if we really look hard really examine ourselves, we, we find that we have all kinds of impure motives for things. Then what does being pure in heart look like for us? What does it look like in our lives? So that's what I want us to ask. And then two, how do we become it? So what does it look like and how do we become it? So what does this beatitude look like in the life of a Christian walking today in God's kingdom? What does it look like for you 
today walking at Texas Tech with a pure heart? Uh, Well, what does it not look like? And I think often we think of purity as sort of this uh, thing that we don't have. And if we're really honest, we don't really want it Um, because that it, it has this connotation of just being the wet blanket at a party. You know, being, being the one people try to avoid. It's the idea of being holier than thou, right? The people that do everything right, they're so pure, they've got to stay away from the unclean people. Or those that don't really like joking around or don't really want to have fun, uh, they just need to isolate, right? Remain pure from any corruption that's around them. But that's not really what it means to walk in purity and heart as this beatitude is talking about, that outwardly often the ones that really look pure could also be the ones who are super judgmental of the ones they're trying to separate from or angry and resentful at the ones that they deem impure, the ones that they're against. No, being pure in heart means that your inner life, your inner thoughts, your inner being, it matches what you do on the outside. It matches externally. It's why Jesus was so critical of the Pharisees because externally they looked very pure. They looked like they had it together. But internally, they were far from loving God and loving people. It's why Jesus says, these people, they honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. This is the real meaning of hypocrisy in the Bible. That sometimes... uh, we, we get this idea and we refer to hypocrites as someone who says one thing, uh, but then does another. But if you really think about it, those are both external things, saying something and doing something. What, what hypocrisy in the Bible really looks like, a hypocrite um, could look pure. They could do everything right all the time. But inwardly, they're dying. Inwardly, they are unclean. The Bible uses several illustrations for purity, and one of the illustrations that it uses is gold being refined. And so the question is, why does gold need to be refined? And essentially the reason that gold needs refining is because when you see gold, gold is not 100% gold in in its original state, that, that there are other minerals and things that are attached to it. So what, in order to make it 100% pure, it gets melted down so that those other things will be dissolved, will be removed, so that becomes 100% pure 24-karat gold. And in the same way, being pure in heart, it's actively seeking to remove the things and thoughts and patterns in our lives that are harmful, that hurt us, because it's not how we were meant to be. Like we, we long to match internally and externally. We don't want to be divided people. It means we can admit when we're wrong. That being pure recognizes the need to be vulnerable with others. To admit that internally, we don't look externally like we want to present. That maybe we're really struggling. Um, It means you recognize the ways that you have internally wronged someone or thought poorly about them. And so externally, you you move towards them. You long to make things right. You want to seek their good. You want to seek forgiveness. 
It's crying out with David after he committed adultery with Bathsheba, saying, Create in me a pure heart, God. Renew a right spirit within me. It's not settling for or becoming complacent with our individual sin patterns, but asking God daily, restore us, remove it, make us pure. I think something I've noticed um, a lot of times when I sit with y'all and we do one-on-ones is sometimes I get this subtle idea or y'all get this subtle idea or give off this subtle idea that because you are struggling, it means that you're unable to truly walk as a Christian. It means um, that you've got to fix it first before you can actually even participate in community. Or that maybe even at its worst that you weren't even a Christian because of how much you struggle, how much it seems that you aren't able to be what you know God wants you to be. So therefore, you know, you can't be in community. You can't really lead others. You can't really walk, as Jesus says, in fullness of life. But guys, understand that part of what it really means to be pure in heart is to recognize the struggle. And it's to seek after that one thing. It's to see the things in your life that are making you more impure, that are hurting you. It's to be struggling and slogging through a life that is seeking to follow Jesus, but knows all the ways that it's mixed with impure motives. Being pure in heart looks a lot like Paul in Romans 7, who says, so I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil, it lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. What a wretched man that I am. Who will deliver me from this body of death? Don't you resonate with that? Purity in heart means you don't want to settle. You don't want to give up. It means you strive to see the things as God sees them. So you're able to truly be honest with yourself. You're able to truly be honest with others. It means that our desire is set on being restored and transformed by Jesus. That we want things to be removed in us. That are bad for us. That are dangerous for us. That hurt us. That keep us from him. It's desiring to have God restore us into the whole person. It it doesn't mean that you don't sin anymore. The Bible clearly teaches that that is something we will struggle with from this day until we die or until Jesus comes back. It's the desire to have God remove the things in our lives that aren't good for us, even when it hurts or it isn't fun. I, I, I sit with couples a lot. And there's often a phrase that, that comes, um, and it's, we are really struggling physically. And first, just to validate that sexual purity is really hard. I think the, the purity culture gives off this idea that there are pure people or impure people, and that's, that's not true. We're all sexually impure in certain ways. But I think sometimes... That, that phrase, we are really struggling physically, or I am really struggling uh, physically, it's more of just this uh, essentially meaning that I, I, I'm just sexually active. But understand, that actually might not be struggling. That, 
you may just be doing what you really want. No, struggling, it, it looks like running from the things that God says are bad for us because he loves us. Even when it's something we want so bad, it's saying, no, I want to do what God wants. It's trusting that even when it doesn't make sense, you want what God wants because you know it's the best thing for you. It's willing one thing, and that's to truly know and serve God. So how do we become like this? How do we become like this? How, how do we just make our hearts pure? We just talked about purity and heart looking like willing one thing, uh, and that's the desire for God. It's, it's listening to, to David in Psalm 27, who says this, one thing I've asked of the Lord that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life and gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. David desired to see God. He desired to be with God, to gaze upon God's beauty. And so the promise attached to this verse is what? That blessed are those who are pure in heart for they shall see God. Which means that becoming pure in heart, does, it's linked to even this, the desire to see God. And so here's the question. Do you really want to see God? I think it's interesting that the Bible, often with people who, who see God in the Bible, they leave terrified. They leave scared. They are scared in his presence. For instance, the prophet Isaiah, um, he sits in the throne room of God and he shouts, woe is me. I'm a man of unclean lips and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. That seeing God causes him to see how impure he really is. And it is scary. It is terrifying. That's seeing God. I, I thought it was cool to see Patrick Mahomes this weekend. You know, different subject, right? I promise, it, it, it's linked. It was cool to see Patrick Mahomes from a distance, right? Uh, just a Texas Tech legend, a freak athlete who can do just insane things with a football, right? And so when you see him and watch him play, you're like, wow, that guy is amazing. It brings awe and wonder to us. Uh, now imagine I told you that your life depended right now on being able to do the things with a football that Patrick Mahomes can do. Right now, go do it. Suddenly your awe turns into despair and fear. And the magnificence of, of Patrick Mahomes, it shifts into this sense of, I'm not enough. You're, you're sorrowful because you know you can't do it, right? And I think when it comes to us seeing God, I think that's what happens. It can do this to us. We encounter him and we immediately recognize all the ways that we are impure before the most pure and beautiful being in existence. And it will crush you. It can crush you. Unless you recognize this and believe that the same perfect holy being, pure in heart, the most pure, 
became completely impure so that you could be pure, so that you could be made clean. That how to become pure in heart is not just seeing Jesus, looking at him, and then just go be like him. That's impossible. Just go be pure, guys. No, it's, it's able to say with David that I long to be in your presence and gaze upon your beauty because you have cleaned me and because you make me pure. That your purity is given to me and I long to just bask in it. Wynn has been potty training lately and uh, one thing, it, it seems like forever he's been potty training, by the way. I might be saying this next year at the exact same time. Uh, and one thing he started doing when he, when he potty trains is he's gotten super stubborn and been like, let me clean. Let me clean myself. I can do it, daddy. And so, which is good, right? But here's the thing. He, he does this and he makes himself way way more dirty <laughs> and he gets it on the walls he gets it all over himself and it gets it's a mess and eventually I have to say when let me clean you buddy let me do it that part of the paradox of living as a Christian is that in order to be pure in heart in order for you to be pure in heart it comes through seeing your impurity and letting Jesus cover it for you with his purity. It's being able to see God and be joyful in his presence, not fearing, because you know he doesn't count your impurity against you. He covers it, which means you have freedom to really pursue purity without being crushed, without being in despair that the most pure person to ever live chose to reach out and touch you. And it didn't make him impure. It made you pure. That when Jesus touches lepers, he doesn't get leprosy. He heals them of leprosy. And it didn't make Jesus less pure to be with us. It made us pure. <laughs> This means that we don't, uh, th that there's a tendency in us to think that solving our uh, uncleanness is to separate and isolate and move away. Be away from as much impure things as we can. But the answer is Jesus. A Jesus who actually lives in you. And a Jesus who heals which means that you actually can enter into places on campus that you deem impure. And you, are, you serve as an agency of bringing purity because you're an agent of Jesus. We can live amongst others and enter into impure patients, uh, places as agents of Christ's purifying. And that through this, you are able to experience true joy true rest in the presence of a God who has made it possible for you to be restored. And he won't stop until he has changed you into a whole, pure, and complete person that will dwell with him forever.
Amen. Let's pray. Dear God, thank you for thank you for covering us. Thank you that uh, you're a God who saw us, saw us in our need, sees us in our need, in our impurities, in the ways that we are wrong, in the, the things that we screw up. And it doesn't cause you to move away. But you run towards us. And you long for us to be healed, for us to be cleansed, for us to be made whole. God, I pray that we would feel that tonight. I pray that we would know your presence and we would long for it in every aspect of our lives and that it would affect us and change us. It's in Christ's name, amen.